Our reading this morning is from the second letter of Peter, chapter 3, and reading from verses 1 to 13. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Friends, do take a seat. And uh, if you've got a Bible, do uh, turn back to 1 Peter, 2 Peter, which is after 1 Peter. Here we go. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, it's on the screen. Uh, Let's say a prayer and ask for the Lord's help as we come to this passage. Father, thank you so much that you are the God who speaks. And so we plead with you now, open our hearts and minds to hear your word. Give us ears to hear it and hearts that long to obey it. For Jesus' sake we ask. Amen. The Bible is unashamed that Jesus will one day return, that he will come and judge the world. He will usher in a new creation. We've just sung something of that at the end of that uh, song. The Bible is unashamedly clear on that fact. But if you're anything like me, you may have a kind of sense of embarrassment around the return of Jesus. A slight niggling doubt. Will it really happen? Will it... Will it really happen? It seems a little bit unlikely sometimes, doesn't it? 
I remember vividly a time as a new Christian, I'd, I'd plucked up the courage to invite a friend of mine to church, and we were sat in the pew, he was sat on my right, and um, I was so thrilled at what the preacher was saying. He was clearly and simply explaining the gospel, and he spoke so warmly about the way Jesus had come to earth because he loved sinners, and how Jesus loved people. Uh, he spoke so passionately about the way Jesus went to the cross to bear the weight of our sin. Uh, he, he spoke so kind of victoriously about the resurrection, that death could not hold Jesus, that as a result, all who put their trust in Christ will never die. And I remember thinking, I am so pleased my friend can hear this message. And then the preacher went on to begin to talk about the return of Christ. And I could feel my hands get sweaty over the color drained from my face. And I, I think in my heart, I kind of half prayed, Lord, please don't let this continue. It had gone from what sounded so wonderful and plausible to something that in some ways just seemed fanciful. I wonder if you can resonate with that kind of experience. It's not hard to feel like that, is it? When so many outside the church scoff at the idea of a judgment. Uh, you, maybe you picture a kind of strange man with a sandwich board, kind of disheveled old guy, and uh, the sandwich board says the end of the world is nigh, and people potter by and laugh at him. It's not hard when many in the church, too, would scoff at the idea that Jesus is returning, scoff at the idea that there will be a final reckoning. But the return of Christ is absolutely crucial, both to the Christian faith, but actually it's of central importance if the Lord is to sort out the mess of this world. Now today, as Aaron said at the start, it's the second Sunday in Advent. And Advent is the time in the church year when we think of Jesus coming. Advent just means uh, coming or appearing. And over the next few weeks, we'll think of his first coming at Christmas. But traditionally, the church also thinks of Jesus' second coming at this time of year. And we're just going to spend one day, uh, one Sunday, thinking on this truth. We're going to look at this second letter of Peter's, which he writes precisely to remind the Christians that one day Jesus will return, to give them confidence in that fact. We're going to see four things this morning. Uh, the first two are slightly longer. Don't worry, when we get to the end of the second one, we're more than halfway through. Uh, but four things are this. The first is this. Don't be put off by the scoffers. In fact, Peter says, there will always be scoffers. There will always be people who deny that Jesus comes back. So don't be put off by them. Look at what he says. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. That is to say, if we know and believe that one day Jesus will return, we will think clearly and therefore live in a way that helps us flourish in this world. Verse 2, I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. First of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. Now, the last days are the time from Jesus' first coming to his second coming. In other words, it's the period now. And this says scoffers will come and they will scoff and follow their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming? He promised. And you see, these scoffers are, are prophesied by the prophets. They're warned of by the Lord Jesus. And it's not hard to imagine them, is it? Maybe you've experienced their scornful look, their slightly patronizing smile. You don't really believe that there's a judgment of the world in this day and age, do you? Poor you. Nice little smirk. 
But notice why they say this. Notice why they scoff. They scoff because they want to follow their own evil desires. They want to walk to the beat of their own drum. They want to live in the way that they choose. And frankly, somebody who's aware that one day Jesus will come back and judge the world can't live in that way, can they? It's pretty hard if that's in your mind to just do whatever you please. And so to get round this truth, they scoff and mock. But notice what they don't do. They are not looking for evidence. They are not guided by the truth. Rather, they are guided by their vested interests. In fact, they ignore the evidence, don't they? Now, there are many tactics to do this, to get away from this truth. But see what the false teachers in Peter's day do. They say, in essence, the world has always carried on the way it has for thousands and thousands of years, and so it will continue. Do you see that in verse 4? Where is this coming? He prophesied. Well, it's not coming. Because ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. The world just spins on and on and on. And the idea that there'll be a sudden interruption and the end of time will come is frankly nonsense. Have you met anyone who thinks like that? But Peter says people who say this, they deliberately forget a crucial piece of evidence. Verse 5, they deliberately forget that a long time ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. That is to say that one day God made the world. It doesn't continue from all time. God made the world and in the same way God stepped in and destroyed the world. Verse 6, by these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. It's not true that the world just spins on and on and on and has done since the time of creation. There was a time when God judged the world that time of course was the flood and i wonder if you remember the awful description of that time as god looked down and saw that all people everywhere had an inclination of heart that was always evil all of the time and god looked down and he was grieved and so in judgment he destroyed the world and cleansed it and gave it a new beginning and do you see peter's point here By the same word, by God's great power, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men and women. God is sustaining the world, but sustaining it to bring it to judgment and then purification. Now, just as an aside, notice how this paints a different picture of how the world works than we normally think of. don't know about you, but I so often think of the world like a machine, Imagine a well-oiled machine, and you start it, and it just goes, doesn't it? People often talk about the world like a a clockwork clock. And there's a sense that God made the world, and and he crafted it, and it's wonderfully formed, and all all the intricate parts that move together. But once God made it, he wound it up and walked away. And maybe we think the world's like that. And there's a certain plausibility to that, isn't there? Because that's how we interact with the world. Um, Imagine if I... Uh, went to the wreath making uh, thing on Friday and I made a wreath and it certainly wouldn't look like the beautiful one in in the new sheet but just think what I'd have to do I'd get all the bits and pieces and I'd I'd stick them onto the wreath and uh, I'd make it look all nice or as nice as I could make it look and then I could hang it on my door and that'd be the end of it wouldn't it I don't need to sustain it I just create it and it's done in the same way everything you make a pot you, you shape the pot and then you 
put it in the, the kiln and put it on your mantelpiece. And it's so easy to think that's the way God has made the world. He made it and then he walked away. He made us and he walked away and just let us get on with it. And maybe occasionally he steps in and does a miracle. But otherwise it just spins. But that is not the Bible's description of how the universe works. The Bible insists that every single moment God is sustaining the world. Colossians 1.17 says, In Jesus all things hold together. The reason that we don't fly off into space and gravity stays the way it is is not just because there's some universal force called gravity. It's because God sustains the world as it is. And that's a phenomenal truth. It's worth getting our heads around that. That means in every single moment, in every single situation, God is sustaining the world. We cannot escape from God's care. But do you see the way Peter uses that point here? If God is sustaining the world, it's no big deal to bring it to judgment. It's not a problem for Jesus to keep this promise. It's just a different way in which he's sustaining the world. And people will certainly scoff at this. But Peter says those scoffers ignore history. They ignore the facts of the flood. They ignore what the Bible says about the way the world works. And they ignore this clear promise of Jesus's. So don't believe the scoffers because judgment will come, says Peter. But secondly, see why Jesus hasn't returned. This is so important. Jesus hasn't returned because he's being patient with us. He hasn't come back because he longs that all people would come to repentance. Look at verse 9. This is a marvelous verse. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You can imagine the scoffers. You can imagine another argument of them. And they say, look, if God was going to come back and do something about the mess of this world, he'd have done it by now, surely. I wonder if you feel the weight of that. As we look at the 20th century... And we think the most bloody century in human history is what people call it. And we think, why didn't he come back? It's nearly 2,000 years since Jesus died and rose again. Why has he not come back? And Peter says two things to that. First, he says God's perspective on time is very, very different. He picks up the, the language of the Psalms and says, with God, a thousand years is like a day, and a day is like a thousand years. Now, we're not meant to hear that overly literally, Some people hear that, and whenever they see the word day in the Bible, they they substitute a thousand years. That's not what Peter's saying. His point is simply that that God's experience of time is different to ours. On holiday, we uh, drove down to Gore and had six, seven hours in the car. And as we did that, we listened to a decent chunk of the Narnia stories. And uh, if you know the Narnia stories, you'll remember there's a time when the the children go through the, the, the wardrobe And they spend half a lifetime in Narnia. They become kings and queens and spend a good many years there. But then they come back through the wardrobe to this world and they discover just a few seconds have gone. And I think that's a picture, C.S. Lewis's picture, of how time is different for God. For us, 2,000 years. It's many, many lifetimes. But for God, it's just two days. But even if God is delayed... Peter says it's not that God is dragging his feet. It's not as if he's got hung up somewhere. No, it's a purposeful delay. It's a loving delay so that all 
people, every kind of person may repent. It's a wonderful thing. Look again at verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Friends, I wonder, do we believe that? Sometimes people have a picture of God as an ogre in the sky just looking forward to judging people and casting them into darkness. No, this says God longs, Jesus longs that people would repent. He longs that people would turn back to him and find forgiveness and grace and a welcome into his family. The delay is for our good. Imagine if I said to my kids, uh, after church, we're going to have a a bit of a Christmas party. Uh, But first, I've got to go and do a bit of shopping. Now, I imagine they'd think, well, I'm going to pop to the Palms and be home by kind of lunchtime. Well, imagine at 1.30, I'm still not home. They're getting a bit restless. Uh, And then 3 o'clock, Daddy's still not there. Where is he? By 5 o'clock, it's it's dinner time, and I'm still not home. And they're beginning to wonder, has he run away? Has he got caught up in a car crash? What's going on? Well, imagine at 7 o'clock, I finally turn up, and, and I'm carrying bags full of stuff. And they'd say to me, where have you been? Well, if I said to them, well, I've been shopping... And it took a long time, but it took a long time because I've been getting a perfect present for each one of you. They're not going to say, well, why did you take so long? Why, why didn't you just go to the $2 shop and buy some junk and get home quickly? Well, in the same way, do you see when Jesus comes, it's, he'll come and we're not going to say, why did you take so long? We're going to say, thank you that you waited. Not so we can get Christmas presents, but thank you because people's eternal salvation hinges on this delay. It's for our kindness. I don't know about you, but personally, I am so thankful for his patience. I became a Christian nearly 20 years ago. Before that time, I'd been to church maybe twice in my life. I didn't know anything about Jesus. I'd never heard the gospel. And if Jesus had come back 21 years ago, I would not have repented. I would not have turned back and asked him to forgive my sins. And on that day, I would have stood before him in the full awesomeness of his fiery judgment. And I'd have had to bow the knee and say that the judgment that I received was just for the way I live my life. But it would have been unbearable. I am so grateful for his patience. What about you? In the church of Peter's day, there were many false teachers, many people saying Jesus will never come again. And Peter says, this delay is so you, you false teachers who are opposing God, that you might repent and turn back. Now, I don't think there are false teachers here. Might be. I don't think there are false teachers here. But it could be that there are some amongst us who are nursing a sin that we really know we ought to get rid of and bring to the Lord and and find forgiveness and restoration, do you see Jesus' delay is his patience with you? Maybe a number here who wouldn't call themselves Christians. It's wonderful you're with us. Do you see the Lord's patient kindness with you personally, that he is delaying his return, that you might come to him and find forgiveness? The Lord is patient, longing that we'd return to him in repentance. But friends, do you see what is certain? This is the third point, more briefly. Do you see what is certain? The Lord Jesus will come back. Look at verse 10. The day of the Lord will come. 
The day of the Lord will come like a thief. And if you know what Jesus himself says about this, you can see Peter's echoing Jesus' words. Jesus says, the Lord will come like a thief in the night. That is to say, Jesus' advent, his appearing, will be sudden and unexpected. And notice again, Peter is is, um, invoking Jesus' authority. This is Jesus' promise. And Jesus himself says it will be unexpected. There's all kinds of cranks who insist they know when Jesus will come back. They've worked it out. Well, they seem to know better than Jesus. Someone was selling you a, a burglar alarm, and they said, oh, my burglar alarm works because I know when the thief's coming. You wouldn't believe them. Don't believe these cranks. They don't know. It will be sudden and unexpected. And on that time, for many, it will be awful. For many, it will be wonderful as the new creation is offered in, but for many, it will be awful. Look at the ver- verse 10, middle of verse 10. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. This will be a time of judgment. Fire in the Bible speaks of God's wrath, his holy anger. It also speaks of refining and purifying, liberating the creation from corruption and impurity. And we can sense Peter ransacking biblical images here. It's not entirely coherent as a picture. He's ransacking the images to make this terrible point. Now, I don't think we're supposed to think of everything literally being wiped out, of everything being vaporized. Notice verse 6. It talks about the flood destroying the world. Well, clearly the flood didn't remove everything. But the point is the world will be purified. Everything will be laid bare. We will have to give an account for the way we've lived. Everything that's hidden will be exposed. All that is corrupt and opposed to God will be destroyed either through the purifying blood of Jesus Christ, made clean, or through the fire of God's judgment. And friends, you see, for someone intent in living in the universe, pursuing their own desires like these scoffers, it's a terrifying thought. Praise God that Jesus came at Christmas, that we might turn back to him and be forgiven. Praise God he's delaying his his return. But friends, you see, for those who have repented, for those who have made peace with Jesus, through this destruction comes something wonderful. Because through the purification comes a renewed and restored creation. Look at verse 13. We are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. This destruction ushers in something glorious. It ushers us in the chance to live in a creation in the way we were designed to be. A place without fear. No more fear that my sin and stupidity will cause harm to those I love. No more fear that others' kind of wickedness will cause harm to me. But rather we can live as we're designed to be. It's a wonderful place. But it, has to, it can only come about once the world has been purified. Well, friends, if that's the story of the world... If Jesus is coming back, how should we live now? Fourth and final thing, because Jesus is coming back, live to please him. Because Jesus is coming back, live to please him. Look forward to his return. Look at verse 11. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. 
holy and godly, like Jesus. Godliness sometimes has a kind of bad image, doesn't it, of some sort of pious crank. But godliness means living the good life, living the way we were designed to be, uprooting by the power of the Spirit our evil desires, not just because they're evil, but because they don't do us any good, rather living in the way God has designed us to serve him and to serve others. And the motivation is clear, isn't it? This judgment comes because of this evil corruption. So have nothing to do with it. The reason these people scoff and deny Jesus will return is because they know that if they remember it, they can't live as they please. But he is coming and they will be destroyed, so have nothing to do with them, but rather live for the new heavens and the new earth. A home of righteousness, a place of love, a place of joy. Get ready to live in that place. Well, friends, as we look forward to that day, it shapes our priorities, doesn't it? Some of the things we think are important now, some of the things that we, we, we hold on to, suddenly don't seem so important. You may know the story of uh, a, a man who was pushing a wheelbarrow to the pearly gates. And uh, there were two angels watching this man struggling with this heavy wheelbarrow. And as he got closer, he saw that uh, the angels saw that it was full of gold bars. And this man struggled on to the pearly gates. And then one angel said to the other, what on earth is that guy doing with all those paving slabs? Do you see? Just the things we kill each other over. Gold bars will just be paving slabs. The things we worry about, the size of our kitchen, the, the, the health of our bank balance. Have we had another experience? People worry, don't they? If Jesus comes back, I'll miss out on, on so many experiences. But that's to miss the point. Anything now is nothing compared to the joy of eternity. Things we hold so dearly become almost irrelevant. Things that we now don't prize so much, we see actually are hugely important. Godly character that will last in the home of righteousness forever. This spurs us to be more like Jesus. The need to, to speak to others and urge them to repent doesn't seem so important now but in the light of this it really is and so peter would urge us to remember and i wonder do you remember this truth is this something that shapes your mind remember when i got a, a digital kind of calendar for the first time uh you know an iphone or something and i put it at some point i put in my calendar on a, one of those recurring reminders jesus may return today and at four o'clock it pinged and um, a slightly extraordinary thing to do. And uh, after a while, it, uh, it became quite annoying. But <laughs> it was a helpful reminder. Jesus may return today. He probably won't, but he may do. He may return tomorrow. And as that thing pinged at me at 4 o'clock every day, it just gave me a jolt to remember Jesus will come back. Maybe some of you with your 2000 and... Uh, what year is it next year? Whatever year it is next year. 2021 calendars. <laughs> maybe flick through it and on some of those pages, right, Jesus has come back. Because he is. And it could be next year. And as we see that, it shapes our priority. The things that we think are so important suddenly pale away. And Peter urges us, live in the light of his return. But he doesn't just say live in the light, does he? He says speed its coming. Now we wonder how can we speed its coming? If God has fixed the time, there's a sense we can't speed its coming. But remember why Jesus hasn't come back. He hasn't come back because he's longing that all would repent. And 
we speed its coming, I take it, by looking at our lives and seeing where they do not line up with the pattern God has set us and turn back, repent. Repentance is not just something for the beginning of the Christian life, but an ongoing process. And we speed it on too by urging others to repent. Friends, if we are shaped by the reality of this tremendous judgment, how can we not pray for those around us that they would use this time of patience to turn back to Jesus? In the busyness of Christmas, if we remember this truth, how can we not seek to invite friends? Sometimes it's hard and awkward and embarrassing, but it's so important. We should pray that those flyers, as they go out, people would find them and come. I urge you, please, take those flyers home and pray. Who might you invite? And as your motivation wanes, remember, Jesus is coming back. If he's not, we could live as we please. Wouldn't matter. The world would just spin on. But the Bible insists he is. And so Peter would urge us, live in the light of that. Judgment will come and the wonderful new creation will be ushered in. So live in the light of it. Let this truth shape your priorities. Wait for it with hope and joy. And speed its coming as we repent and urge others too to turn and find Jesus. Friends, let us pray together. Before I pray, just a moment to think and reflect. Are there any of our priorities that really ought to change with a reality and awareness of Jesus' return? Just a moment to think. Lord Jesus, we thank you that one day you will return. And we thank you that that means you will usher in your new creation. Father, fix that truth, we ask, upon our hearts. Shape how we live today, how we live this week. Father, may we live less wrapped up in the things of this world and live in the light of eternity. And Father, we pray that as we live like that, we might be a blessing to those around us, showing your love to them like Jesus did. And we might warn people that Jesus will return, urge them not to uh, presume upon his patience. And so we long that just as you have been patient to many of us, so you will be patient to many more, that many more might be welcomed in and that we might spend eternity with them too in this new heaven and new earth. So Father, we plead the things we've reflected on in the quiet of our hearts, help us to do those things. For Jesus' sake, amen.